2: Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's
3: BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Hello and welcome to Homestead Radio. My name is Chris Hamling and tonight we celebrate a win against Burnley. Sean Dyche's team losing 1-0 at Selhurst Park, giving Palace back to back wins for the first time this season. Uh, of course, I'll have a panel with me to discuss all the events of the week, but we want to hear from you too. Go to holradio.net forward slash contact to find out all the ways that get in touch with the show tonight. Uh, we'll be back
2: after this short message. 29 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia. Homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Palace.
3: Right. Sorry about that. Hello. <laughs> <Welcome>. <laughs> yeah. something, something went horribly wrong there, and it wasn't the fact that I was on mute at all. I <laughs> uh, haven't done a live show for a while. That's what happens <laughs> on live radio. <laughs> I was getting really a- angry with you, Alex, because I introduced you. And you didn't. <laughs> Uh, oh brilliant beep the podcast. Hello. Right, time to introduce the <laughs> first up, Alex Finch. Hi Alex. Alright, Chris. Yeah, all right, mate. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. All
1: right. yeah, you're gonna be you're not gonna get angry at me again, are you?
3: Hello, <laughs> no, no, I feel it may have been my fault. <laughs> We've also right, got to this, be back. Yeah, I bet. We've also got the arconis <laughs> Hello. Hello, Good to have you on the show. And it's it's Tim Warren. Good evening. Good evening, Tim.
4: <laughs> How are you?
3: Well, I'm, I'm honestly gutted. <laughs> I'm more upset that no one, no one heard me, because I was being very funny with you people not responding to me. But, um, <laughs> but there we go. Such is life, eh? Hmm. Right, a couple of little bits of admin before we get going. First and foremost... Uh, since we were last live on air, um, I have to announce, unfortunately, Mr. Nick Philpot has decided to leave these shores. Um, I just want to put on record my thanks and appreciation for Nick's hard work and dedication, particularly over the Christmas period where we did all those podcasts for the Advent, Advent Pod Calendar thing. Uh, and Nick was involved in quite a lot of that. So thanks to Nick and uh, best of luck with all things in the future. Um, but replacing Nick and Jell... Uh, we have two new people. You'd have heard Les Gill in the podcast last week. I hope uh, Les is uh, well. It's an old friend of a few of the people on the show, um, but just someone who's never never shy with an opinion. Particularly uh, if you're a famous person on Twitter, he very much likes to <laughs> <laughs> likes to antagonise those, uh, you know, <laughs> many as he can. So Les will be, I'm sure, a lot of fun over the, the, the I mean, months and years. Uh, and we've also got the return of Mr. Alex White from. Uh, you know, hasn't been on the show for a couple of years, but he's going to be on sporadically in the future as well. So be enjoying his contributions in the near future, I'm sure. And plus we have a whole panel of other people who've uh, got in touch with the show, uh, wanting to have their voice heard and we'll be figuring out some sort of way of getting everyone involved soon. Uh, I don't think we're going to do anything like an X factor, but probably, probably not too far off. Uh, but that should be a bit of fun as well. Um, And one last thing I want to mention before we get into the review. Um, Many of those of you listening um, donated to the running costs of the show um, from the midpoint of last year, really, so we could get going for this season. And a lot of you are owed rewards by us. Uh, We did send out a bunch of emails trying to get people to get in contact with us, um, but I'm aware occasionally our emails do get shoved in the spam folder or anything like that, so do try and get in contact with the show if you're waiting on one of the rewards uh because we want to give you your reward some of you uh have paid enough to be on the show as a guest which will be a lot of fun um and other, others just be something small but we do want you to get in touch with us so we can actually give you something to show our appreciation for your donations so there we go right gentlemen of the panel it's um time for us to get going and uh i'll, I'll just just a quick summary really obviously we're Reviewed a, another fantastic win. You know, it's it's one defeat in twelve for 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 the boys, and some fantastic performances out there. And we're we're really threadbare as a squad, as you know, you'll all know um, through it, just a succession of injuries. And we'll be talking about um, you know what's happened with those injuries a bit later on, and what we can do about it. But uh, great first half performance. Absolutely blew Burnley away, and you know it'd been three or four. Uh, you really, they really couldn't have complained. Came back into it a little bit in the second half. Don't agree with Sean Dyes, You said he thought they just have to point out the game. Absolutely no chance. But, um, but you know, certainly, Palace still probably the better side in the second half. But it ended one nil. Could have been a lot more. But uh, but the team has got to be pleased with a clean sheet and a, you know and a, and a good attacking performance. Uh, so, gents, if we may, let's start with say. Well, it's pretty much the only defensive lineup we can put out there with the injuries that we've got that's actually managed to keep a clean sheet. And um, so much to talk about around that. So, obviously, Wayne Hennessy in goal, Tim Fossey Mensa at right back, Patrick Van Arnholt left back, and a centre back partnership of Martin Kelly and uh, James Tompkins. And I'm going to start with Tompkins because, you know, Tompkins is the one out of that lot that you expect to be in every week. But for me, he's been better than I than I've ever seen him. Um, you know, certainly certainly in a palace shirt. But he has been he's just taken on that mantle. If you think the effect that Sacco had last season, for me I think I think Tompkins has been that instrumental in, in, in the back line since he's came back in and got fit. Uh, what do you reckon, Alex, of, of Tompkins' performances?
1: Yeah, I'm a massive fan of Tompkins. Um whenever he's stepped in, whenever he's been fit, because you know, he's had a few injury problems, um He's always done a really good job, and he just keeps it simple, which is what you need for you know a centre back, especially at Palace. Um, you know, in the past we've seen some really shaky performances from centre backs we've had. You know, like Dan. I know Dan had a little mini revival, um, but then he's injured now and out to the rest of the season. So a lot rests on Tomkins' shoulders. Um, I think it, he's, he's just a carving presence, isn't he? And he sort of complements. Martin Kelly very well, who who had a, another great game yesterday, um, and and it's just it's just refreshing to know that we've got a we've got an established um, centre back pairing at the moment, and you know with Sacco on his way back, and it it, it does you know big question: do we need another centre back here um, in January? I know we were we were we you know we we didn't really. Uh, want to you know that buyer and another centre-back but obviously the sacco injury you know m- you know made us look at the market but to be honest i think we're we're solid and we're settled
3: we are but of course we're one injury away from uh from having delaney in the back four which a lot of people are, are concerned about and um you know not not just that we, we've also um you know with with the Obviously, you know Dan's out for the season. It's it's uh, you know mm. Sacco. You know he might he'll get might get fit from that calf injury, but again, he's got a bit of a he's a bit injury prone, and you can say the same about Tompkins. So mm. I still think we do need to do something in the market because of that. But you know you bring up you bring up Martin Kelly, and obviously we talk Tompkins, but talking about Kelly, and I'll, I'll bring you this, on, in on this one, Dr. Um, you know, first of all, we've all talked for, for a while about. You know Kelly's proper position being being a centre back and how we've played him. You know both full back positions hasn't really done him any favours, but he's had a good run at, at centre back for a few games now. Um, Hodgson seems to be a fan of his. Talks talks about him in, in good terms. And today, you know, today, yesterday we saw him. You know, there was that that little moment of play where he had a couple of shots blocked. Sort of went out into the the full back area. He closed down. the the Burnley player, with a fantastic slide challenge, had another shot, you know, and it was just that kind of level of performance. That's something we never really saw from Martin Kelly, even though he was always committed, but he seems to have gone up a notch. Dr, do you think that's the management of Hodgson getting the best out of him?
0: Uh, Yeah, I think it plays a part, and also his position plays a part, as uh, whenever Martin Kelly has played centre-back, I feel like he's done a pretty good job, and it's, it's it's a good thing, to be fair. Now, Roy Hodgson's got the problem of when Saka comes back, do you want to take out Martin Kelly? Because you can argue Saka is the better player. However, Martin Kelly and Tompkins has, has been good ever since they played. And Man City second half, they were solid. Uh, yesterday, they were solid. And yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Martin Kelly has come in to the side. And with all due respect, I wouldn't expect him to be knocking on the door of the first team like he has been. So, it's going to be good for Roy Hodgson. He's got um, some... Defensive good defensive problems to deal with.
3: Absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's the kind of problem you want. And Tim, looking at Kelly's performances, I mean the things that we always talk about in, in Kelly's game, which we call you know, the weaknesses, if you like, is he's, he's a little bit lacking a little bit of pace at times, a bit slow to get going. You know, I think running at full pelt, he's okay, but I think acceleration's probably not quite there. But it's not too much else wrong with him at a Premier League level when he's comfortable or confident by the looks of things.
4: No, and I think at the moment, because Kelly and, and Tompkins are playing together and they've had a good run in the side together now, um, they obviously understand each other. Um, Kelly's positional play seems better at the moment. Um, and I just think he's a confidence player. And at the moment, I mean, he's done such a good job since coming in, which, um, you know, to be fair, has surprised a few people. But suddenly he looks like an established centre-back. And, um, and I think with Tompkins as well, I think um, up until now, we've not really seen him have that kind of long run in the team. Um, I don't want to jinx it, but, you know, without injury... Um, as you say, a little bit injury-prone. Um, but I just think the fact that they're both playing, you know, 90 minutes at a time each game, um, you know, it's certainly working for that back line. Um, they're looking very solid at the moment.
3: Yeah, again, you know, the clean sheet tells its own story. Uh, at the fullback position position, something we've kind of maligned all season. Again, you look at people getting a run of games uh, and you look at Tim Fossey-Mensa, obviously his biggest asset is his just tremendous pace. So mm. whatever the case, whenever he makes an error... You know, recovery-wise, he's got a really good chance of recovering. And not just that, he's also got a good chance of covering other people's errors uh, by getting himself back there. So, Pace is a huge asset for him, but he looks to me like he's getting stronger and a bit more uh, adept at at playing that position. Again, we're seeing a run of games, we're seeing a bit of confidence. and, And Alex Fossi mentz is a player who, you know... After the City game, many United fans were saying, "Why on earth would we let this guy go out on loan?" So another six months with us, he's going to be perhaps yeah. some player, isn't
1: it? He? he gets better and better each game. Um, I think got man of match uh, for the City game at home. He was outstanding. Then you know he's got great he's got great athletic um, great athletic ability. You know he's very strong, quick. Um, and he, and i think he 's learning uh, game by game you know earlier in the season he played center back, and I think that sort of helped him sort of uh you know helped him with his defensive duties um so you know we know he 's quick and he can and he can go past players, but you know he 's looking stronger defensively too uh, game by game and you know in terms of a loan deal, i think for united it's it 's a really good a really good um apprenticeship in a way uh, for for Fossi Mensah you know he's developing game by game and you know this guy's a limit and you know it'd be tricky um next season you know with Ward's contracts up in the summer apparently um and I feel like there's a there's going to be a spot free there um for us and I think maybe we'll be looking at a full-back in the summer because I don't see us getting Fossi Mensah back next season for another loan deal and I don't see us getting him on a permanent deal based on how well he's playing
0: yeah um Alex, uh, if I quickly jump in, with Foster Mensah, I have to agree with you in his defensive efforts. He's, he's a fantastic defender. His pace helps, uh, helps a lot. He goes in for a tackle. But the only downside of Foster Mensah I've had, and I haven't, really seen, I haven't really seen people talk about it as much, is that him going forward, um, I feel like sometimes when he, especially his crosses, sometimes it's a little bit, he comes too short, or he goes over the top. And that's the only downside. But as you, as you said, he's still a young player and he's got a huge potential. However, if he improves that side of the game as well, he'll be a fantastic defender. And yeah, as you said, he's he's perfect. So it'll be really stupid of United giving away um, for Semester to us. But it'll be interest, interesting to see what happens. Because I think yeah. if we had the option, we'll keep him.
3: So it's a really good point uh, you, you make about it going forward. he you know, put in a couple of half-decent crosses against Burnley, created a little bit of... Uh... Bit of panic in there, but um, and you know, you look at some you look at someone with his sort of pace and energy and strength, you know, he really that he's got everything he needs to to contribute going forward, he just needs us, you know, again, that run of games. The more he plays, the more he'll get used to that, and I think, again, he's, he's at the right place to do that at the moment. But, um, uh, you know, it's fair, you know, it's got to remind ourselves there's not too much wrong with what Joel Ward was doing, uh, before mm-hmm. he got out when it got injured, and was it was out of the side, so. Um, I'm sure mm-hmm. he'll get uh, offered a, a new deal as well. Uh, we go to the other side, another um, fallback position, and we look at Patrick Van Aanholt, now a player who's been on the end of some criticism. You know, I- I've criticised him certainly on this show, and I know a lot of other people have been critical of his positional play. Now, there was a little—I'll I'll say this up front—there was a little wobble in the last couple of minutes where he just kind of lost his composure a little bit, maybe a bit of tiredness creeping into the legs because he hasn't, you know, played. A, a full 92 often of late. Um, but, you know, those that little wobble was still there. But generally speaking, it was a much, much better performance from Van Arnhold. and uh, I don't know about yourself, Tim, just observing that, but he got very involved going forward, was always trying to offer an option on the overlap. But defensively, had a much better discipline about his game, I felt.
4: Yeah, I think that's probably one of his best games he's had for us, to be honest. Um, like you say, he's, it, um started the season, he was a bit shaky at times. Um but obviously now we've been forced into to playing in that position there's no other option really, um, but yesterday I thought he yeah it was um he did really well um he didn't what, what he has done in the past is when he goes forward, he has a habit of being totally out of position, but I thought yesterday he kind of he trapped back and, and got himself back when he needed to um, and I thought he had a pretty solid game
3: yeah it's good it's just good to see because um you know and also oh, you know, you'd have spotted this on on Twitter, Di. You know, he had to come out and say, you know, I am not leaving Palace. I am happy where I am. You know, I suppose those rumours all came about when he was out of the team, and you know, lots of rumours he'd be going joining Sam Allardyce at Everton. But obviously, particularly with um, Jeff Schlupp out and, um, and Pap Suare really struggling since the since the comeback from injury, um, it's kind of vital we kept him around, anyway, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is vital because if um Vanano wasn't here now, then he would play left back, Papa Suare, maybe, but he still I think he still has to play a couple more um youth level uh, under twenty-three games to get into full pace. And yeah, we saw what Van ano had done last year under Eiladice. Uh it seemed like Roy Horses doing the same thing. He's, taking, he's using Van Aumhoek to his full percentuals um, as a left-back. I think he's better suited as a left-back than a left midfielder as he doesn't have um, the attacking capabilities to play as a left uh, left midfielder. Yesterday, it was perfect, but can you keep it up? It's just uh, consistency, that's a problem.
3: Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, It's
0: just, yeah, it we'll see what happens, but I'll keep him any day. And, uh, yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, but you're bang on there. Consistency. We you know We don't like to... You, know, you don't have to criticize players, but you know, at the moment well, on this on this show, we have the pleasure of talking about a lot of good performances and a, you know a lot of wins, which is not something we've had to do for a while. So, it's good to get you know in this position where we're giving all these players praise. But certainly, um, you know, Van Arnolt, Van Arnolt was getting stick for a reason, um, and you know, he just looked much more comfortable. And I have to say, for me, uh, the fact that the players who were out of the side—it's you know, not that long ago—all these players that weren't playing every week. We pretty much, I'd say, we all felt we couldn't rely on them, you know. And, and, and there was lots of noise coming out of the club, like that the management felt the same. But it's interesting to hear who was it today. I think it was Jonathan Walters. It was on a on a BBC thing, thing I saw a link to when he was talking about he knows someone at Palace. I'm not sure who it is, uh, but he was saying that Roy Hodgson. This player felt that Roy Hodgson's the best manager he's ever worked for. And one of the reasons for that was not just about how he manages the games and manages the first team, but how he manages the players who aren't currently playing. And I think we've really seen that. We've really seen every player of late, and long may it continue, who's had to come into the side has actually stepped up and you know put in a proper performance. And, you know, it's it's great to be in that position, it really is, because we've got some really tough games coming up. All right, let's talk a little bit more. We've got to look at the defence and we'll, we'll come back to the keeper in a, in a little bit. But I just want to talk a couple of, bit, couple of bits tactically about what Roy Hodgson and, uh, and the management team did against Burnley. So the forward positions, obviously with Andrus Townsend down, and Hodgson commented that Sacco was in there on merit anyway, it was interesting to see what how we lined up because there's always that little bit of uncertainty. And, and I mean during the game, because so when I was watching it, I kind of initially thought that Zaha continued up alongside Benteke because Sako was drifting wide. But that kind of that role, if you like, it kind of they kind of exchanged it for a while, and then it was very much after the first sort of ten fifteen minutes, very much Sako was up front with uh, with Benteco, mm. and um, I, I kind of like that fact, Alex. I like the fact that we kind of mix it up, and we we have it's almost uncertain while you're watching it as a fan as to exactly yeah. what's happening. So it must be very difficult to defend against. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, Sako. Um, for me, I think he personally played really well in a in a two, um, because I think he's not he hasn't got he's not blessed with pace um, to play sort of as a wide position that you know Wilf and and Andros play. But, he, and as a lone striker, I don't think he's you don't think he he's strong enough. You know, commanding enough like something like Benteke. But as a supporting striker, it suits his game to a T, and he finds you know pockets of space. Um and you know his he, his pace is not really exposed as much so you know he was outstanding yesterday and you know I just feel it's just just really good management again by by Hodgson you know he's able to he's he's like you said he's keeping players sweet and he's keeping them on their toes and we're getting players you know he's giving players new leases of life and and Sako is the epitome of that um you know he's a player who you know I don't know what it was he just wasn't rated by the board um didn't really get a enough of a chance under under Pardew you know early on in his in his Palace career he got a few chances but you know he was out of the team for a, for a while and and there were rumors that he'd be he'd be leaving us to to a championship side but you know fair fair play to him fair play to Hodgson um you know he's really breathing new life into this side and and it's really a pleasure to watch
3: well with Sako, and again I talk sort of generally about the about the tactics initially but mm. you know it's right that we get onto the 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 yeah. performance of Sacco as yeah. well you know, is it's what's important to to sort of acknowledge is that he had so many little niggly injuries over a period of time, mm. and he was he wasn't fit. You could see it. You know, he was he was carrying a you know carrying a bit of weight. Um, you know, there's no way he could have played ninety minutes a few months back. Not not a chance. Um, and he was just slow and. You know, never made the right decision. He was sort of tripping up over the ball quite a lot. And I suppose that's a little bit his style, if you like. I guess, but he's very unorthodox.
1: Let's just yeah, say that. But
3: there, was, but there was nothing really in his game at all that he was really off. He was offering anything, but he's he said it himself. He's physically free of his injuries, and he's getting fitter all the time. Tim.
4: Um, yeah, just on the starting lineup. What what was interesting, I thought, was because we kicked off, was like Benteke was playing left. Um, on the left side at first, which really did confuse me because I thought surely Sacco would have been the more obvious choice down that side. But then as the game went on, it seemed that Sacco and Benteke swapped positions and then it was Sacco that was making those runs down the left channel. Um, and I just thought it worked really well. And obviously, every now and again, Zaha would come over and it's just very fluid up top.
3: Yeah, it's, and that fluidity, yeah, it's exactly what I'm getting at. It really does create that, that little bit of uncertainty. You know, people yeah. aren't quite sure who they're picking up, and you know the unpredictability of Sacco really does play into that, as, as Alex was suggesting. A couple of uh, commenting on Twitter for, for people just talking about the fact that has Sacco played himself in, and George Emmett got in touch and said he starts ahead of Townsend for me at the moment, uh, either in the front three or on the wing. Uh, Martin Fett was saying even if, he, if Townsend's fit, he takes his place better in product at the moment, and he's making the runs that Benteke should be making. Uh, which is something I will touch on very, very, very shortly. Andrew Martini, it was just put, uh, posted a picture of him eating a curry, which is really frustrating me, because that looks nice. I'm jealous. Unacceptable, Andrew. Unacceptable. So it really has distracted me. Right, OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, it looks pretty good. Decent-sized chocolate. What
1: type of curry is it, Chris? Uh,
3: just, it's called, it's called Delhi chicken. Oh, OK. No, oh, with the garlic No, oh, Lovely stuff. Very nice. Oh, anyway <laughs> back to um, back to the show i guess um, I, I do want i just i want to take a moment to talk about uh, the goalkeeper position before we get into some proper analysis of um, well i do want to talk in detail about the kind of movement of of Sacco versus what Benteke was doing some of the reaction to Benteke and a few of the match incidents as well around that but let's just go back to to Hennessy and look at look at him for a bit obviously much maligned goalkeeper. Uh, Roy Hodgson came out in the press and talks about him and Martin Kelly as uh, players who are underappreciated and don't always get the uh, the attention that they deserve. You know, I've got strong views on to Hennessy. I really do. Um, because, you know, bottom line is, he played played well um, and he's had a, a few decent, very, you know, one, one or two very good games and a couple of decent games of late. But I still say that when you look at the number of games he's played for Palace, that the number of games where you're happy with him is a lot less than the number of games that you are. So that that this comes with from from that place, if you like. But um, I was impressed yesterday with a couple of things, and um, we'll talk about specifically why we think this was now. Um, that is, he was very very commanding in the air. It, it, you know, he came out and caught an awful lot. Um, was very very quick off of his line. Um acknowledge he made two excellent saves, both from Ashley Barnes. One was from the sort of dipping volley, uh, which was a great tip over. Very, very good. Expecting to make that save, but he still made it. And, and you know, a lot of credit um, where that's, you know, credit where it's due there. But also coming out and sort of smothering the ball when Barnes was thrown on goal was an extremely important moment for us because he was through. It, it got between the centre backs, momentary laps, and he was in the right area to make that block. So, great stuff from Wayne there. But again, a couple of good saves that you expect a Premier League keeper to make. Let's talk about the change in his um, his his aerial stuff. Now, DR, you you were someone who were, was talking pre show about whether or not. Well, we all were, <laughs> I think. But I'll take I'll, I'll go with you first. In fact, we've got a new goalkeeper coach in Dean Kiley. Uh, how much of it do you put down to that?
0: Okay, um, I, it's too early to say, um, isn't it? It's just uh, first game. Is it? Is it first game since the, uh, MJ, H- Yeah, it's his first game. But there was definitely some things that I haven't seen Hennessy uh, do before in the, yesterday's game. He was way more uh, commanding of his box than I've ever seen him do. And coming out for the balls, normally we'll see Hennessy come out for some for some balls and not for the other balls to catch. But yesterday he just came out for everything, and and I'm not too sure if it's Dean, uh, Kylie, is that his name?
3: Yeah, Dean Kylie,
0: yeah. Yeah, Dean. I'm not too sure if it's Dean Kylie. I think time will tell. But yesterday he was very good. And the problem with Hennessy is that, uh, let me just go back to Chelsea game. I think last season and um, when was away. He has very good games. Then uh, you look back at last game against Brighton, then he has moments like this. It's the consistency from Hennessy that is the downside from his game. He needs to be consistent more frequently for him to be a decent Premier League goalkeeper. And if he does keep having games like that, then no one would argue uh, with Hennessy's position. They will say, all right, he's a decent goalkeeper. But the problem is, is that he ha- he he, um, he does some stupid mistakes, which questions people if he's a Premier League goalkeeper, as a Premier League goalkeeper, shouldn't do stupid mistakes as he does. So yeah, it's yeah.
3: it's that whole thing, isn't it? Of not you know, make, again, the, the Brighton game is a is a good example of that. You know, he should be making those saves, and it just what do the, what the players in front of him think when he doesn't. You know, I'm sure all the players in front of him for the Burnley game will be full of full of confidence and belief in Wayne Hennessy's abilities. And they'll be delighted for him that he's contributed to them keeping a clean sheet. But do they have confidence in him doing that every week? I still don't think so. That's, you know, And obviously, we're still looking at goalkeepers for, for a reason. Sorry, back to you, Leo.
0: Exactly. It affects the defensive line as well. Yesterday, I felt like the defensive line operated... Uh, much better due to Hennessy's uh, command. As normally, you we all know Hennessy. He sometimes he doesn't come out, sometimes he does, and that worries the defenders whether to go in for the ball or let Hennessy come. And yesterday, as you saw, the commanding was absolutely perfect. But it's that can you do that next week? Can you do that against Arsenal? Can you do that against West Ham? That's a problem.
3: Yeah, as for you... me, for me, the whole the whole Hennessy being commanding thing, and I, you know, I know I've talked to you guys about this pre-show. To me, that comes down to. The overall tactics for the, from the manager and the staff, knowing exactly what Burnley do. Burnley are very, very good at getting the ball around our halfway, you know, our half, their opponents' halfway line slash final third, and just lofting up little balls to the edge of the area, making sure the strikers are in the area you know, at, at the sides, so uh, so they can basically head the ball down, and that's that's one thing, you know, that's their main modus operandi I'm going to say (laughs) watching too many true crime stuff but that's you know that's what they do that's their thing you know and we've decided that one of the best ways of dealing with that is to get the keeper off his line nice and early coming in and challenging for those now there was only one occasion where it was a little bit hazardous where Hennessy came out didn't quite get to the ball I think was probably a little bit lucky to get the free kick but generally speaking I think less it was less about uh, a goalkeeping coach coming in and sort of saying listen Wayne you're not commanding enough you're a, you know you're a, you're you're a big unit you should be out, out there but you know I agree that's the right thing to be saying to Wayne but I think it's less about that and much more about the overall tactics but I know Tim you felt that that probably there was there was a bit more of the coaching side of it.
4: Well I mean Kylie's come in this week and surely one of his first jobs is going to speak to Wayne and I'm sure he's seen videos of him and and you know, he's done his research um, on our goalkeepers. Um, So it wouldn't surprise me if at all he'd picked up on the fact that Wayne hasn't been that commanding in the box. And I would have thought there'd be a discussion that said, look, you're you're six foot four plus, Um, you know, you should be commanding your area. You should be getting out and, and, and catching most of the balls. And certainly yesterday, um, you couldn't really fault Wayne's performance at all. He he looked very confident and, and he went for everything. And like you say, the one he did miss, the fact that he did go out and, and make an attempt for the ball, he did get a free kick. Um, whereas if he'd stayed on his line, he would have got nothing. So, you know, yeah, I, I do understand that, that Roy would have been expecting Burnley with their tactics, but I also think possibly a fresh pair of eyes coming in um, would have said, you know, let's go back to basics and, and you know, do what you, you should be good at doing.
3: I think that, thing that's that that's absolutely fair. I mean, you know, perhaps it's a bit of both. And we're only speculating, I suppose. We don't really know at all. Uh, go on, Dale. You've you've got some uh, what you consider to be a sort of a negative on Wayne yesterday.
0: Yeah, his distribution of the ball is clear. It's obvious now. It, yesterday, Bernie done it as well. Um, Hennessy's distribution of the ball he can't kick it off his I don't know why it seemed like he's not comfortable he always drops the ball down and even when he drops the ball down he too many times he kicked it to where Benteke didn't want it as all game when Hennessy was kicking the ball I always focused on Benteke and as the game went on he started becoming more frustrated he always he always pointed at Hennessy and always said, "Look, I want it to the right. Just give it to the right, not central." But he always kicked it to the central, and that led us to uh, led uh, us to lose the ball in stupid positions. So, I think that was the only downside is that his distribution. He needs to work on that because it was it was really bad yesterday, and I think it's one of the reasons why Burnley got into the game. We started losing too many balls from goal kicks. Okay,
3: well, we'll we'll leave we'll leave that part there. We'll move on i mean talking about distribution i just want to get a quick word from you alex on how you felt uh, jerry Riederwald did in for Johan kapai uh, you know not particularly noticeable performance if you like it. you know you, you didn't, mm. didn't kind of feel that i wouldn't say you did not notice him but but i felt he was quite effective
1: quite effective yeah
3: well i think i think um,
1: the backroom staff um, and Hodgson are bedding in, in Riederwald, uh slowly um you know, I know it was a player that De brought in, but I thought he's being nurtured for you know Kabay's uh, role um, for next season. You know, obviously I, I don't see Kabay um, signing a new contract. I think he'll be, I think he'll go back to France, I think mainly for family reasons. Um, and I could see Riederwald. You know, they're earmarking Riederwald for that role um, in the future because um, you know they're both similar players. They both like to you know get around the pitch. You know, Rudavald. You know, likes to throw a challenge in, similar to Kaby. And I think Rudavald's passing abilities is is fantastic at times. Um, you know, he's coming. He comes from the school of Ajax. You know, the, you know, and they certainly know how to pass a, a football. You know, players that are from their academy. And you know, he's got good credentials as a, as a player. And I feel like you know, he's. It makes sense for us to stick by him and 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 give him another go next season in in that position. Um, because I think we will be a bit short in the middle. Um, you know, with the likes of, you know, Kabai leaving and a few other players potentially leaving for that position. So, yeah, it's perfect. And he's very young too. So he's 20 years old, which is, you know, fantastic. And a player who's versatile, You who can step in at the back if we need him to. And, you know, I thought he did a really good job yesterday.
3: Yeah, sure. And I, I, I think that's, you know, you've, you've pretty much covered everything that I wanted to cover yeah. there. Because, well, I think he's it's interesting when, Roy hasn't really mentioned him by name, but he's talked Mm. a a while back. He talked about you know some players he potentially couldn't trust to come in, and that's kind of shifted to you know he was talking yesterday about you know players who were playing some of their first games for the club in the Premier League and all that kind of stuff. And I think he is talking about Reinevald there, Um, and I think he's one who's actually played his way into Roy's thinking a little bit. You know, I I can't remember exactly which game it was where he was sort of forced to come. Was it Man
1: City at home?
3: I think he came well, in. No, he chose him there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, because, you know, it was, we had played so many games in quick succession. He was just, mm. he was a fresh body in there. But I think yeah. I think Roy probably picked him because because purely he had fresh legs. But I think he showed in that game that he was not short on quality either. And as you say, likes, likes a challenge. And I think he's one that's probably in the last few weeks or so just shown Roy that, hang on, you know, there is, there is another option in here. You're talking about getting another midfielder in because we're. We're stretched a little bit. Well, hold on. You know, I was I was born mm. for eight million quid off of Ajax, and not a bad yeah. player. And I played is... in
1: the Europa League final last season. You right. know, yeah, he's got he's got good credentials, and yeah, fair play to him. Um, sure. you know, it's not eight million pounds in the current climate. Is good money, isn't it, for a player like Rudov uh, for his age? So,
3: well, there we go. Well, just just uh, to lead us back into talking a bit more about Sacco, which I'm very very happy to do. Max Powers just got in touch saying that he'd definitely uh, like to argue that Roy isn't BSing when he says the backer is in there on merit, uh, not necessity. And, that, you know, he's talked about that. He's repaid the compliment with the winner yesterday. So it's hard to argue. And I completely agree with that. I think, you know, we have seen a, a, a player completely reborn. You know, he's been retrained as a as a striker. As Alex has pointed out, as a support striker, it looks like he's made for the kind of player that he is right now. And there's a lot of reasons um, that we can point to in just that one game for, for just how effective... Bakary Sacco is gonna be in that position. Uh, and the first is very, very early on in the game, Jets. A, uh, a ball forward from Luka Viljavojevic, a central sort of pass, falls to the feet of, of Sacco, you know, sort of uh, directly in front of goal, 20 yards out or so. And he has a he has a run. Initially it looks like Seke wants him to lay the ball off to him, but Sacco backs himself and runs at the defence, and clearly A challenge comes in that takes the player before ball. Um, And I I I was watching a.
2: a There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com goals on Sunday today and they said well you could forgive the referee that one a little bit Tim can you forgive the referee that one a little bit
4: well I must admit from my position in the upper homes now I was right on the other side it it was one of those I couldn't tell straight away that definitely was a penalty and it was very crowded in that area so I couldn't actually see where Oliver was but he could have been blocked so I mean it was very early in the game I I wasn't sure at the time if it was a penalty. Looking back on all the TV footage, it definitely was a penalty, uh, no doubt at all. And this is where the VAR would have come in handy, you know, yesterday. Um, but I'll be honest with you, I I was, you know, I wasn't sure myself. So you know, I don't really know what view Oliver had.
3: Get a view of that, DR.
0: With yeah, I he had a, he had a perfect view when when I was looking at the replays. You could see he's right behind um, where the thing happened, and um, where the foul actually happened, so he did have a good view uh, but I do see why he didn't give it because even I was in the stadium as well I was in the Arthur so I was a bit further back um, from uh, seeing the actual uh, foul however it happened too quickly and the ball did get moved so what I think Mike Oliver thought was that he did get the ball and he got Sako, whereas he actually got Sako first and the ball. So, yeah, I could see why he did give that decision because it happened because of the pace of it.
3: Yeah, but, yeah. But the pace is the, is the thing, you know. Again, and you look at the players around, it, it's not like Ben screaming for the foul either. Um, but but Sako couldn't believe it. It was, uh, you know, it's one of those when you see it back, you just think, clear. It's absolutely clear. But a full pace, uh, you know, looking behind the player. Of course, you can see you know you can see the fact that uh that the sacco has been caught by you know his, his his right leg has been caught way before the ball um, has, has has changed at all so disappointing um, obviously disappointing to um to not get the penalty but obviously at the end of the day it, it doesn't matter well, you say it we say it doesn't matter um it kind of kind of does <laughs> but um but we do go ahead and the next thing that happens is that we score. You know, the, the next major incident, we score. And um, that was, you know, it, it was just a great move. And and the really important part for me, Alex, is the, is the part that Christian Benteke plays in this. Because the ball's up to him and he's he has the actual technical ability to play that with the perfect weight. Now, I'm not saying he knew that, that Sacco's going to go driving into the penalty area and, and put the shot away like he does. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's a very delicate little ball over. And it just, it, it, for me, it's just the perfect thing. And, and what a great finish from Sacco. You know, you don't you think taking the, that shot off from there with a keeper and two defenders in front of you, but he's backed himself to score. Yes, Barsley shouldn't have shown him onto his left foot, but, you know... Glorious moment, wasn't it? It was, yeah. And it, you know, I thought um,
1: Benteke's uh, hold up and link up play is underrated at times. You know, he's a vital component um, of this four four two that Hodgson loves playing, and how you know well we're playing at the moment. You know, it's a really lovely flighted ball, um, and you know, Sacco he makes that. Chance out of nowhere. Um, he's got no right there whatsoever to to you know get, you know gain a few yards on on the fullback. And and what I love about it is that you know Sacco, he hits the far post rather than the near post, which you know you do see that you know a lot now in you know modern football. Lots of players are going for the near post rather than the far post. And. It just shows he's got instincts um, of, of, of a striker and of a finisher, and that, and that training that he's had, you know, being retrained as sort of a support striker, striker, it's, you know, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's working, and, and we're, we're getting the effects from it.
3: Yeah, this, it's this is where you know we start to get into the territory of talking about uh, Sacco's movement and how much of a pain he was for for Burnley, because he's had a couple of other half there were half chances in there as well. Where he's uh, this one where Zaha's drilled it to the near post, and he's made that run across the defence, and that's a proper striker's run, you know. Like you say, he's showing those instincts, he's showing those things. Yeah. And of course, uh, I'll, I'll let you talk about this one, Tim. The volley chance. Oh, um,
4: oh That god. goes in. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, that pace he hit that with was just immense. The way he caught that, so sweet, and it was so close, wasn't it? I mean, it was just inches away. That would have taken the net out. I think um, it was absolutely amazing. Um, and like Alex says, it just proves what um, what an eye for goal he has got. Um, and I think he has been kind of underrated, really, by all that, you know, many of us Paddys fans. Certainly, me, you know, included in that, that that he can do this, particularly with his left foot.
3: Listen, yes, I'll still maintain that we had every right to to rate him the way we did up until now. I think it's, it's great if players can change your mind. Um, and of course, it's not all down to you know where where people might have said it was down to effort and application and, and, and quality. I think we've perhaps shown been shown that a lot of it was down to to, to physical fitness. I, I know Di and you want to both will come in this one, Tim. And Tim, in case you're answering me, I'll let you go first.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think obviously again we talk about confidence all the time, and I think with Sacco he. He's obviously been a good egg in the camp because he's been around, not been in the team, and yet he's always posting on Instagram and everything else. He looks to be a real good team player behind the scenes. And it's just so great that he's been given the opportunity, mainly through injuries, um, and he's played the odd 10 minutes, 15 minutes here and there. But then he's suddenly had an impact. And I think you can see now, he's now got the confidence. He's suddenly in the start 11. He's still scoring goals. And, you know, this is his chance to really push on now. I agree. He's probably, probably... Been lacking up until these recent few weeks, but what I like about him is his attitude and the fact that he hasn't been sulking. He's taken, you know, he's waiting for his opportunity, and now he's got it. He's taking it.
3: now that, that's that's absolutely right. He has he has indeed done that, Diar.
0: I think what was missing from soccer, uh when I was critical as well is that uh, that we're seeing now is his decision making and his fitness. I think both of them now. Uh, with Roy helping with his decision making not in Roy the management team helping with his decision making as yesterday if he took a st- if he took one more step further then he probably would have gave Bardi uh, a better chance to get the ball and if he took it too early then w- I don't think he would have hit it to the far right corner so it's that decision making that's changed and it's his fitness levels he's more fit you can see that he's he's running more and and as Tim said, it's confidence. I've always believed. You know, when the shot yesterday, the volley. Yeah, I've yeah. always, I always know that Saka's had that. He showed that in the championship. He has crazy power in the shot, but it's how he takes his shots. And as Tim said, uh, decision making and confidence it helps out a lot. Yeah.
3: Alex,
1: yeah, just just to conclude, yeah. Well, we all know that his left foot is an absolute wand. You know, so it's, 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 the things he can do with that left foot are incredible. But you know, we we know also that he can use his right foot. And you know, the, the criticisms in the past have been that, you know, he should be using his right foot more often than he's a professional footballer. And we saw, you know, in midweek, the goal against Brighton with his right foot as well. So, you know, he's got the confidence now to to be using his right foot, to be running into space. And and it's just, it's great to, great to see.
3: Yeah, it absolutely is. And, you know, you talk, the talk. the thing that Tim mentioned about him, you know, being, a, you know, good behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But he's really good with the fans in general. And I think, you know, Di, you'll remember up at Leicester when he came over and put the Santa hat on. Um, you know, beaming spot. <laughs> just, just, you know, he's just always one of the first over to, to, to celebrate with the fans and celebrate with his teammates and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, yeah, it's great to see that now he's making a contribution on the pitch uh, as well as, you know, off it, which is, which is nice kind of to round off this topic. we got a question in earlier from uh, Michael Curran on Facebook. He's saying, is Bakery playing for a new contract? Does he deserve one? He's one of the players out of contract at the end of the year. Um, I think Roy commented on it, and, and I pretty much would have said this without hearing his words anyway. But it's perhaps too early to say yes, he gets a new contract straight away. But if he keeps doing the things he's doing right now, he's he, he's got to get one, surely. You know, I was just just on that,
1: Chris. Um, if uh, Wolves go up, I can see them going in for him um, if he is a free agent. So you know, there are rumours that he's on quite a lot of money a week. Um, was it? I saw something quoted about fifty-five k a week, which is quite a lot. He's well, yeah, one of the cause... top earners at the
3: club, isn't he? free transfer wasn't he so you, can, yeah. you you always get that the transfer fee ends up getting added onto the wages really but yeah. um, you know that's you know whatever he's on and, and that goes for anyone in the team Benteke and all that kind of gets a lot of grief for how much money he's paid but at the end of the day he doesn't set his wages if you are willing like, to pay it they pay it you just ask them to get out on the pitch and do their best and hmm. we can certainly say in the last few weeks the impact that, that, that Bakari Sacco's made and the continual improvement that he's made is is definitely something that Warrants a, a new deal, but let's hope it continues for the rest of the season. And I'm sure he'll be getting one. And, and you know, who knows? Who knows? He's, he's our top score right now. Who knows where it ends at the end of the season? Maybe we'll have a struggle mm-hmm. to keep on. Definitely. <laughs> so, yeah, thanks for that uh, question, Michael. As well, we'll try and get to another couple of listener-based questions before the end of the show. Um, moving on from Sacco, let's talk about Benteke. So, we're talking about the difference, Benteke. Much more static with his movement, you know, and I'm gonna. So, f- obviously, my my sort of position on on Benteke on this show, generally speaking, is one I've defended him a lot. I've talked very, very strongly about how much I rate him as a player, and that's still the case. And I saw a lot of criticism of, his, of him yesterday, which I think is, is, was mostly unfair um, because I don't think there was any lack of effort, and I think he had a perfectly decent game. And, uh, and in key moments, he was absolutely crucial for us. But what I will say is I'm worried about his lack of confidence. I'm worried because it, it's it's shining through right now. You know, his hold-up play is fine. He's still excellent in the air. He wins the majority of his headers. He's flicking on into the right areas. He's linking up with his teammates a whole lot better than he was, you know, before injury starting to look uh look, look fit again but when it comes to putting the ball in the net there's there's a little bit of a mental block there and as Roy Hodgson said we can't carry that so we've got to do something about it and that means getting competition in for him for a start uh, but that doesn't mean losing faith in him completely either so I'm going to talk a little bit about his chances then I'll give you guys your, your your chance to have a little comment on what you think um not too much because we talk about him every week, but just a little little round, round up of, of what we're thinking at the moment. So chances that stick out for me. He had a, a header from a corner where he's managed to jump about a foot higher than anyone else, and he's only just not able to get over the ball. So I'll start with that one. That is not a miss. That is someone almost creating a chance from a header that no one else is going to get. No one else is getting up that high. <laughs> You know, watch your back if you don't believe me. Just look at it. It's ridiculous how high that guy gets up. And, it's you know, you just have to applaud the effort of getting there in the first place. And it's just it's just unlucky that he can't quite get high enough to head that ball down. He nearly does. It starts to dip as it goes over the bar, catches the top netting. You know, for me, that that's something you should be applauded about, and it shows what his strengths are. Um, but what you see later on are a couple of moments where, you just think if uh, a confident Benteke does something different. So following Kelly's absolutely ridiculous uh, couple of shots and challenge and then another shot, it fills to Van Aanholt and he sort of drills a shot but drags it horribly wide and it obviously ends up at the feet of Benteke. Now you look at that and you're thinking to yourself, just sweep that ball in, just with the left foot as it comes towards you, just all in one motion, you can sweep that in for an easy goal. But what Benteke tries to do A little fancy flick with the outside of the right foot, and the keeper's read it, and it's just it just flicks it up into his hands. Now, what I will say, and I want to get your views on this, guys, from because it was from behind the goal that you kind of most people applauded, which I noticed. So, Tim in particular, um, was it that was that bad miss?
4: Um, it's all small margins, I think. I mean, like you said about that header, if that header goes in. Um, earlier in the match, then that little flick that he does probably goes in as well. Um, and he kind of, again, he needs that goal again just to sort of, you know, get him back into that kind of... It's confidence again. We keep using that word confidence. But, you know, I remember the Leicester game um, when the pressure was really on him he basically, he misplaced a couple of touches early on. And then as soon as he scored his goal, everything he did went to the right player. And he, you know, he just got better and better as the game went on. And I think yesterday it had, it was the the other way around, really. The the more chances he missed, the more anxious he gets. And then he just sort of, you know, like you say, when he's confident, he puts that in the back of the net. Yesterday was almost just like, kind of put his foot out as if, you know, it, it wasn't confidently kind of, heading towards goal, was it, really? No, it wasn't. It was just a kind of, well, I'm going to get something on this. And hope yeah, for the best. Exactly, think, yeah. exactly. So then later on,
3: he, uh, uh, a crossing comes in from Sacco and he gets a little bit of a shove from Charlie Taylor, but again, gets a header on it and, and glances it quite well wide and you're thinking this is really not going to be his day. And then he there's a moment when he uses great strength, again. I think it's against Tarkovsky in, uh, in midfield, who's, who's sort of come out of the centre-back the position to, to follow Ben Teke. and he's just out outstrengthed him and just, just run on into the area and there's a moment he's running out of goal he could just think he gets to the edge of the penalty area and he's got two choices shoot or square it to Zaha and he does choice number three which is to take an extra touch and go further wide and that you know they are, you'd have seen that before with strikers I guess you know that's that's the lack of confidence isn't it he hasn't got the confidence to take the shot on and he hasn't seen the right the right option. He's desperate for the goal, so as far as he's concerned, Wilfrid's not an option. Um, but he has, he's just done the wrong thing with the shot as well.
0: That place just sums up Penteke's confidence right now. It just it, it's the extra touch that just. Uh, Gave the advantage to the goalkeeper, should I say? He just he just needs to find. I thought after this game, I thought that he would just bang on from there and get a little bit more confidence. Boost. But it doesn't it doesn't seem like he, he just wants to score. He's doing great um, as an overall player. He's letting players come into the game. He's giving them nice passes, but it's the final product that we need, and I think that's what's bugging him the most. Once he does get a couple of goals in couple of games in a row because in Leicester it was time to kick on and he didn't I think his confidence will go up and we'll see the Ben ticket we saw last season that scored 17 goals but it's it's a question of when because games it's now January now and he after how many goals has he scored I think one
3: yeah it's still just the one goal yeah
0: he needs to hit them in soon so his confidence rises and he actually impacts
3: us and helps us out this season last word on this Alex uh he managed. To, he had four or five chances in the game. I counted four. I think maybe five. Um, mm. Is that a, is that a positive that he's still getting the chances and it'll come, or is, does that worry yeah. you more?
1: It will come. he will come. He's getting in the positions. He's he looks lively, and I think it's one of his best games for a few games since that that lesser game yesterday. He's just been. You can see he's just confidence. He's he's a, he's a confidence player, isn't he? He, he just. I think you saw that at, at his time at Villa as well where he'd go these games without scoring and then all of a sudden he'd get three or four on the trot and, you know, he's he's command. Uh,
3: is that just Alex has gone, the rest of you guys doing it? Yeah.
1: <laughs> How will it affect him? Because oh, wow. obviously his confidence is very low at the moment. So yeah, Sorry, we'll you see. We'll
3: see. Sorry, you cut out a little bit there, Alex. Okay. Basically,
1: what said... what I was yeah. saying, basically what I was saying is that when we get the new striker, Uh, a new striker comes in, it would be interesting to see how that will affect him, because obviously his confidence is very low at the moment. And, you know, we have been linked to a lot of strikers recently, you know, Babacar, Sacco, Dembele, a few players that are very similar players to Benteke. So it'd be interesting to see how that will affect him.
3: There we go. Um, So, yeah, I I totally agree. I think, mate, I hope he responds positively to some, um, to some competition. I think most of the other players have, uh, Right,
0: DR, you've got some Facebook stuff. Yeah, on i got some Facebook stuff on uh, Benteke and our live chat on Facebook. So summer cursed and I said Benteke needs a few goals to give him confidence uh, in his link-up play. His, his link-up play is good. Uh, you can see he's doing his best to score. Uh, Michael uh, Curran uh, said Benteke needs a bit of luck, uh, confidence and our support. Uh, still by far the most re-owned striker we've had. Uh Tom Sapwell has said, I don't think Benteke is a bad player, but Palace needs someone now, not in five game times, um when he gets his time and confidence back.
3: Well he go I I get that. I get that we don't potentially have the ability to carry or to wait for you know for Benteke to get his form back, but at the same time it's not like we have that many other options either. Um, and I, and as Alex was getting at, I think that's perhaps half the problem. When you haven't got anyone pushing you, sometimes, you know, it just takes that extra couple of percent out of your game. And that's all it takes at top level. It really is, uh, you know, for you to, to to sort of lose your edge. And it's, there's no doubt, as much as I'm a huge fan of Christian Penteke, there's no doubt that he's lost his edge to that little bit uh, at the moment. But there we go. I'm pretty sure he'll have it back soon enough. Did I sound confident there?
1: Hmm, moderately. Sounding oh, like okay.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so uh, I don't, there was another couple of questions that came in on Facebook. I wanted to cover. The first was, and this is opinions from you, gentlemen. Um, it was Mark Callaghan with, "Do you think we are more solid without Kabai
4: in the team?" Tim. Um, I. Just think the problem with Kabai at the moment is his fitness. I think it's been mentioned mm. quite a lot. And I think yesterday it was potentially a chance to rest him um, and bring him on if we needed to. Although ironically we didn't bring any subs on. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I, I mean, we've mentioned Riedervald has probably deserved a chance in the team and he done another good job yesterday. Um and if Kabai is gonna go at the end of the season, then it's a good opportunity to to give Riedervold a bit more experience and, um, you know, look towards the future perhaps a bit more. Um, But I think Kabay has been solid of late. It's just the fact he seems to run out of steam for the last 20 minutes or so or comes off. So, you know, maybe Roy thought it was better that if we needed him for him to come on and have an impact as opposed to, you know, tiring at the end.
3: Yeah, I mean, he he talks about the fact that, you know, Kabay has got, they thought he had a, a muscle injury. But what he actually had was muscle fatigue. Um, I did an MRI scan, so that's the only reason he was actually on the bench. He was apparently not going to be on the bench at all because I thought he was he was hurt. But I, I've used hurt like Patrick says. Damn you, Patrick! That's your fault. Um, but yeah, I just think um, I don't know. I wouldn't say we look more solid without him. I think we look more solid than with a an unfit and struggling Johan Kabay, which we've seen seen of late. I think towards particularly towards the end of games just before he gets taken off. We've seen you know, him literally look dead on his feet. So I think there's there's a bit about that. Go on, Tim.
4: Yeah, I mean, I did think um, near the end of the game yesterday, our midfield was losing it a little bit. I think Burnley were kind of, they had nothing to lose at the end of the game. And, and I felt we were losing the midfield battles a little bit as the game went on. Um, and we're getting drawn further back. And hence, I was getting a bit worried near the end. So on that basis, you know, I think the midfield were a bit lighter near it come the end of the game.
3: Absolutely. Now that's, that's, that's fair. And um, I think if we'd had the option to risk Johan, I think perhaps we probably would have done. Um, so Mark also asked another question, which will take us into the sort of final bit of chat that I want us to get into. And that is how come Wolf was so quiet? So I'm going to answer the question myself. Uh, Wilfred Zaha was ill with a, sort of with cold and flu symptoms, I believe. Um, I still thought he had a pretty decent game, uh but he wasn't you never saw him put sort of run at full pace I don't think there was still lots of nice sort of skills such nice movement you know some good passing, but you know he wasn't he wasn't a hundred percent, but I think people would be you know surprised to know he was ill that's just probably how good he is but uh talking about wilfred Zaha it does lead us nicely into this week's Hamblings ramblings.
2: Chris Hambling's gone all ranty Something's really wound him up He's using lots of nutty words Like bloody cripes and for Pete's It's going to get quite heated The air is turning blue The ref's a cup, the players are And guess what, so are you He'll whine about the tactics The substitutes and such But please don't get him started On Jordan Much
3: Well, uh, here we are again. Time for another Hamblings Ramblings. and uh, It's been a while, of course. Not been a while, not a live show for a while, but some things never change. And as we touched on last week in our podcast, one of the things that never changes is that Wilfred Zaha never really gets the rub in the green, does he? You know, um, we have to watch week in, week out. There's various players up and down the country play for bigger clubs with... Bigger names and bigger salaries sort of fall over at the slightest to touches. And pundits make up excuses as to why it was a foul or why it was so clever. And, you know, in keeping up with the modern game, those are the kind of things you have to do. But, you know, Wilfred Zaha apparently went clearly failed in the penalty area, like he was by, let's say, Raheem Sterling, for example. Clearly, that's actually Wilfred Zaha being the devil incarnate. You know, thrown himself to the floor, screaming in agony. I mean, you know, forget the fact that there's clear contact. Forget the fact that the guy's being fouled left, right and centre. Kicked in the shins every single week every possible way you can imagine. You know, he apparently is a cheat. You know, it starts with Eddie Howe. Eddie Howe had the audacity to claim that Zaha was a cheat in a game where his team cheated to score the opening goal. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. No one wants to point this out. It's a med- immediate agenda against the little clubs like us. You know, against players like Zaha, who, you know, how dare he play for a little old Crystal Palace? How dare he represent a club that isn't in the top six? Get, you know, generate such huge income for the Premier League well oh, I just don't get it I don't get the agenda against Zaha you know they say he doesn't have end product he does have end product you know the funniest thing I think Sam Allardyce ever did is, as a palace merger be asked why doesn't Zaha do that every week and he responded with the answer he does and it seems that only people who watch Zaha every week truly understand what a talent he is and it's a double edged sword isn't it because do I want everyone to be knowing how good Zaha is or the fact that he doesn't cheat or would I rather that he has his home at Palace. Everyone else hates him. But I'll be honest. I think, you know, I, I want to see the guy get the recognition that he deserves, um, and he certainly doesn't deserve to be demonised by the media. People like Martin Keown and Chris Sutton. I mean, can you imagine Martin Keown having to defend against Wilfred Zaha? He'd probably give him around four or five penalties a game. He was absolutely plodding pace. Zaha does things other people simply can't do But one thing he certainly doesn't do is dive does he does he fall over with minor contact yeah because you know why if you don't fall over in the penalty area when you get fouled you don't get a penalty that is the real problem
2: Chris Hambling's gone all ranty. Something's really wound him up. He's using lots of nutty words, like bloody cripes and forfeits. It's going to get quite heated. The air is turning blue. The refs have come. The players are, and guess what? So are you. He'll whine about the tactics, the substitutes, and such. But please don't get him started on Jordan much.
3: Right, we are then. Hope you with that, uh, sorry about the mic quality and in general in, on that, not just that thing, just throughout the course of the show. Uh, we're using a different, um, different piece of software to broadcast, and uh, it keeps changing my mic settings. I don't know why. Um, I'll try and work that out for next time, so apologies for that. But just, why, why keep changing my volume? Stop it, leave my volume where I I think he it is. It is, it's got to be Keon, isn't it? yeah. yeah. I can only apologise for that really. Um uh, sort of sort of made me quite angry. <laughs> so uh that's plenty of tweets in on this subject actually. We're talking a little bit about the uh injury problems that we've had. Um so the week went out talking about, you know, do we have to look at our training? What's what's the major issue? And most people have picked up on the fact that uh, Roy Hodgson's made it pretty clear that um most of the injuries we have are impact injuries. We've not got too much that happens. Um you know, the, in, in the course of training, most of it are, are injuries that happen during games. So there's not an awful lot we could do other than bemoan our, our terrible, terrible luck. So um, and I think that's, that's really well observed by the majority of supporters that have that have, um, that have responded. Uh, <laughs> Jedi's asking, how can you spend time talking about Hennessy and still unsure, and other end, a £30 million striker, not scoring is getting an easy ride. He's paid to score. He's paid to play how he's instructed to play. You know, that's, that's the big thing about Benteke. Uh, I think we've pretty much covered quite well that, uh, that he's not scoring due to shocking confidence. I think the difference between Wayne Hennessy and Christian Benteke is a pretty obvious one. In my opinion, you, you could disagree, you know, that's, that's fine. You have your right to disagree. I think the difference between Wayne Hennessy and Christian Benteke is one has proven quality. and One doesn't, you know, one has, was absolutely magnificent for us last season all season and a huge reason we stayed in the Premier League and one wasn't argue with that
1: word, <laughs>
3: word. now listen I, I, I you know I'm being confrontational Burr, <laughs> but I do you know my my that's just my opinion you know you're, you're more than welcome to have an alternative opinion but I don't think we're giving Benteke an easy ride at all I just think I think Benteke is getting over the top criticism um and that might be something that people say about Wayne Hennessy as well. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know whether whether to agree or not, but there we go. It's uh, everyone sees things differently, I think it's fair to say. So we'll just uh, leave it at that. I just had to turn my microphone volume up again. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, it's just gone back down again. Uh, let me just uh, live turn it back up again. Sort of like I'll just turn it <laughs> back up. There we go. It's back up again. Oh, no, it's gone down to 88 again. Uh, oh. Just, <laughs> let's just try and change those levels there. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> <laughs> new Year, same old Same old, same old Change from one system because it keeps cutting out <laughs> From the new system. Why is it only my microphone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, should we talk about Man of Match, Chris? Hey, why don't you guys do that While I sort of get angry about stuff Okay Who should go first? Shall I go first? Yeah, go
1: first Um... I personally give man a match to James Tompkins. I thought he was solid throughout. Um, you know, I thought he was the reason why we, um, you know, him and Martin K, the reason why we managed to keep it, keep that clean sheet in the second half. You know, Burnley had a lot of chances and I thought Tompkins was solid and, you know, he, he led the back four really well. So, I, I'd give it to him but honourable mention, obviously, to Bakri Sacco, who was outstanding again.
4: Yeah, I'd, the, I'd... Oh, of oh, course. Sorry. Okay. Well, uh, it's only because you said Sacco. I think that's who I'd give it to. Um, mm. I just thought Sacco was the difference. Um, just his work rate and you know the chances he created. He could have got another one. Um, just like we said, fluid front three, and I thought he was the best out of the top top the pitch. And I thought he had an outstanding game.
0: Yeah it's it's a, it's a hard one isn't it I think I'll have to give it to Tompkins because if it wasn't as good aerially uh like yesterday then I think we would have struggled because Burnley were sticking up them uh high balls into into our um, into our defensive areas, and he dealt with them really well, which helped us out massively defensively. And, yeah, as you said, Tim Sacco was fantastic up there and contributed a lot. But I just have to say, Tomkins' defensive efforts were fantastic, and he just has to get man of the match for that.
3: Chris? Well done, guys. Well done, guys. I mean, you sort of... I feel that during the course of that, you showed you do you do need me, because you didn't know who to talk who to. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, Sacco was man of the match. Don't be ridiculous.
0: What, but Tompkins was the one solid who stopped all the... Yeah, it, all the balls that was coming in the air, he's the one that stopped it. If Tompkins didn't stop it, then it could have been a different game.
1: Yeah. Basically, yeah, the way the second half was going, I think you, Tompkins, you know, put in a man-of-match performance because, you know, they were very close to scoring. I think that was a chance. Was it Vokes had a chance? It hit the side net in the second half and that was squeaky bomb time and there was a spell where they had about 10, 15 minutes... Of chances, and I think Tomkins really did, um, you know, did, did, he did command um, the
3: back line really well. Yeah, you're right, Sacco's man. <laughs> uh, one last thing before we go, um, sort of quick mention of the, the, up and com- the upcoming fixtures. Um, obviously we've had a, a really good run of things, but got some tough games up. I did have Arsenal down as a tough game, but I've changed my mind after today. Uh, <laughs> so but no, listen, it, it's when when we lost seven, the first seven games, we had a couple of games in there where I, I feel, you know, we, we perhaps should have got points out of. But it was a tough run of games, and I think it's important to acknowledge that we've turned things around massively. But we've got a huge, huge, huge task on our hands
4: hmm.
3: coming up. So Arsenal will be a tough game, no matter what. You know, it's an away game. Um, they'll be looking to bounce back from a very disappointing. Uh, situation that they had today. We then go away to West Ham, who have been resurgent under Moyes, and you know really do have the, the players to hurt most teams if you if, if you let them play. So that's you know that's another away game. Home game against Newcastle. I'm feeling relatively positive about, although we had a tough time up there. Everton away, Allardyce team <laughs> tough. Tottenham at home tough. Man United at home tough. Chelsea away tough then it's Huddersfield away and Liverpool at home. And mm. you just look at all those games in a, in a row before you get into Bournemouth and Brighton. That's a, that's a tough run of fixtures for the next couple of months, really. Uh, great to get the points on the board that we have now, sitting in 12th position. But general feeling about that from all of you, i just run round you all. Alex?
1: Uh yeah, definitely. I think um the next four games I think we can we can get points. But yeah, that there's that there's that running, isn't there? Um from February to March, the end of Feb, early March where there'll be some tough fixtures, you know, like we said, Tottenham, uh, Chelsea, United, um so a a lot of tough fixtures. So if we can get at least two wins in our next four games, I think we will be only a, a few wins away from survival, but obviously I don't want to count my chickens too soon. You know, it's tough games coming up, and obviously that West Ham game is a different proposition to what it was a month a month ago because you know they, they they've got they've, they 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 were they they were excellent uh, yesterday, and you know they will they will be we you know not had a lot of success um you know well last season we didn't have success did we um, at the London Stadium? So yeah, let's just hope we can get some points in the next
3: couple of games. How are you feeling, dear? Looking ahead at that that run.
0: Me personally, I look at game by game. Um, I don't look at it as a as a as a whole run. Next game, Arsenal. If we play, I think the only team the only team we lost against in the last um, last twelve games was Arsenal, and that was due to tactics. Oddly enough, roy has been perfect. But that game, it was. I think we're not playing wide. Um, it's just attack going forward. we just lost. Uh, I think I'm confident against Arsenal, against West Ham. Every game is tough, though, Chris. You say, you know, Arsenal, West Ham, but every like even Swansea, we drew against. So, I think if we play as we've been playing and tactically Roy keeps his run going uh, with every game, doing it, um, having a good tactical performance, I think we'll be all right. I think we'll get a couple of points and do a couple of surprises as well in them games.
4: Tim? Well, we've put ourselves in a great position now. I mean, this this kind of run of fixtures back before Christmas, we would have been dreading. But, We've been picking up points all the time. Even, you know, the City game is a fantastic point at the end of the day. As long as we don't get a couple more bad injuries, um, I think we'll be all right. Like like you guys have said, I I fancy us to to possibly get something next week at Arsenal and and even at West Ham. I think we're just full of confidence now um, as a team. Uh, I know we've said a few individual players might be lacking at times. But as a team, you know, we've been winning games. We've been getting points on the board. Um, and to think we've got 25 points at this stage when we have gave everyone a seven game head start, it's just absolutely amazing.
3: No, it, it truly is. And um, I'll say that I
4: genuinely think that we've got a
3: tough period coming up and I think we've got to hold our nerve a little bit. I think there'll be a spell. I think particularly around these sort of Manu, U, Tottenham Manu, Chelsea, that, that run of three, mm. I think that's going to be very, very tough for us. And, um, well, I say, I think we just need to hold our nerve a little bit because I reckon the last six games we'll win them all, finishing with relegating West Brom. Um, huh. You know, <laughs> that'll be a smashing end to the season, won't it? <laughs> Great.
1: Well, I'll run, our, our last five, six games are, are, are good. Um, but have, have you seen Brighton's last couple of games? call They're difficult. Yeah. They have like, of, lots of top teams. So,
3: in free yeah, fall, let's, you
1: see? Let's, see. let's hope. Yeah, they keep continuing to free fall down, down the bottom of the league, you know.
3: That's it, the, the form table in the last 12, they're, they're bottom of it. So, uh, good. Yeah, bad times for them. And we're ahead of them, which, finally. They've spent all season with the whole mind the gap rubbish. Ugh, yeah. idiots. Uh, anyway, I've uh, yeah, thoroughly enjoyed being back. Thank you to everyone that listened and contributed with your comments today. Apologies we couldn't get in the chat room. There was an issue with the chat noise, wasn't there, Tim? Yeah, <laughs> just a little. It's a perfectionist. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> And apologies for my mic quality. But other than that, thank you very, very much indeed. Cheers to Sam for producing, to DR, to Alex and to Tim for their panel behaviours. I couldn't think there. I've struggled, struggled, (laughs) but well done anyway. Um, And, uh, of course, do listen to Terence in midweek for the preview show. Uh, Head to all your podcast areas and subscribe and download for that. And we'll be back next week to review something else. Bye.